Okay, so we, um, we've been diving deeply into the life of Jesus, of course, his teachings, his life, the words that he says, the character that we can uh, understand about him, and we are learning that Jesus teaches us so much about life as we already knew, but the further we go into this thing, the further we keep talking about one of the main subjects that we all like to talk about, our life, <laughs> and we get to talk about the things that Jesus is giving us, because I mean, that's what Jesus came to give. give. You remember John 10.10, 10, right? Like, I love that passage. It's one of our favorite passages around here. It says, there's some bad news at the beginning, but there's really, really better news at the end. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to give you life and to give it to the full. And so he comes to give us life, and he also says things that are intended to transform our life, isn't he? I mean, he, he comes to change the very nature of your life because he believes what he's got to offer you is actually better, and it's actually more life. And so he comes to change our life. That's what Jesus does. He changes everything about, say it with me, everything. everything. That's what he does. And so he's changing our lives, and he's giving us this picture of what it can be. And I want to focus in on the next few weeks. Um, if you haven't been able to tell, there's been like this trajectory over the last 20 weeks of us kind of zeroing in at times on little subjects and little pieces about what Jesus was doing. And, and I want to spend the next few weeks talking about some of the most pointed things that Jesus said. Jesus said some, everything Jesus said was, was truth. Everything that Jesus said was life-giving. But there were some statements that he said that were weightier. You know what I mean? They were heavier. A few weeks ago or months ago, we talked about whenever Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he say? Well, it's, you know, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. Therefore, he, he claims it's the greatest commandment. That statement has some weight to it, doesn't it? It means something. And Jesus had a few statements like that that were very, um, they were, there's something that we must take greater note of in terms of who we're becoming, the life that he's come to bring. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few, few weeks. I want all of us to take the word of Jesus, the scripture, the truth, and experience it to its fullest measure um, so we can experience what God has for us. So I want to take us to, to Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 14. And this is where we're going to begin with one of these pointed statements of Jesus. It says this. Uh, this is verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. It says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if you've been with us, I've actually used this verse a number of times. And if you've been with us for a while, all the way back in May, the very first Sunday of this Jesus series, this is the verse we taught on. And we talked, though, more about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom is really about. Jesus has come to announce, this statement is known as the announcement of the kingdom of God. So this is a big deal. Jesus comes and he announces a new day, a new kingdom, but we aren't going to talk about the kingdom today because we've talked about the kingdom. We're going to talk about the end of this verse when he says, repent and believe the good news. This part of the scripture is actually, it ends with an exclamation point, doesn't it? It says, repent and believe the good news, exclamation point. So, and what, you put an exclamation point wherever there's something that's actually kind of exciting, right? Something that's good, something that's positive. So maybe this, I don't know if repentance makes you feel good. But here, here it's supposed to. You ever put too many exclamation points in a text message or email? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just want person to know how excited you are? Like, I sometimes get a text, it'll be just one word, you know, yes, and then 15 exclamation points, you know? It's like, you know what I'm talking about. And this is what this sentence should be like to me. Like, repent and believe the good news. 
15 explanation points. You know what I mean? This is one of Jesus' most pointed, most important statements. This one is weighty, as I like to say. Repent and believe the good news. That is the only action he calls us to in the announcement of his kingdom. You think about that. The starting point and key call to action that Jesus gives us when he announces his kingdom is to repent and believe the good news. That's the only thing he says. Now he goes on and he talks about what are we repenting of and other teachings. He talks about what we're believing in, and other, and other, but this is where he begins. I want to show you one more place in scripture where Jesus points to this exciting news of repenting. Um, it's, in parable, it's in a parable in Luke 15, starting in verse 8. It says, What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, which I, I, just, I wish I would call my neighbors together when I found a coin. <laughs> calls her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost Exclamation point, right? Now, not every version has the exclamation point there, but I believe that's the right way to read it, okay? Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there's joy in repentance. There's excitement when someone turns to God. Heaven notices, rejoices in the repentance of people. But let's be real about it, if we can. Um, repentance involves change, doesn't it? Repentance involves realizing things about ourselves in which we would acknowledge are not the way it should be or ought to be, and therefore we take whatever measures of pain or grief or sorrow at times to then turn away from it, and change direction, and you not only turn away, then you believe that something else is better, right? So my son, Grayson, <laughs> um, he had a moment this past week that was all about repentance, if you know what I mean. There was an incident at school where Grayson was involved in something that got him into a little bit of trouble. Um, he and his friends were at recess, and they somehow got a hold of one of their friend's shoes and they were throwing it around, playing keep away. And uh, another friend, not, not Grayson of course, took it too far and threw the shoe over the fence and out of the, out of the school into the street kind of area. And, uh, and so the teacher was not happy with this. All the boys involved got in trouble, of course, and they were instructed to do a few things. First, they had to write a sorry note which Grayson doesn't write. So I was like, what is this? And he had a, he basically, he drew a picture of him and this other kid. And the kid who actually threw the shoe over the fence drew a picture of a monster, which I was like, okay. Um, but anyway, this happens. And then, and then she, she told him, hey, you need to come up with a consequence and bring it back tomorrow. What's your consequence? So he had to come up with his own consequence, right? Well, he comes home and he goes, what's a consequence? And so we explain to him what a consequence is, and he comes up with a consequence, and his consequence is this. <laughs> he says, I, I guess tomorrow I can be friends with that kid. <laughs> that. And I was like, hold on, what? He's like, yeah, that, I mean, that'll be what my, my consequence is. I'll hang out with him the next day. 
So there's a few things I got to confess here. One, I have a lot of work to do as a father. <laughs> a lot. And two, he has a lot of work to do in understanding uh, how to be truly sorry, right? How to be repentant. And so, needless to say, it's a work in progress. So I want to define the word repentance for us just to make sure we are on the same page because some people believe it to be different. Um, and you can put that on screen. The biblical definition of repentance means to change one's mind. But listen to this. Willpower to stop and turn from sin just isn't enough. To truly repent, God needs to change our mind about that sin. That we need to hate the sin like God hates it. And when we do, the action of turning from sin to Jesus is easy. And so it's not just the willpower to go, oh, I'm going to change direction. I know that's wrong. It's to say, ooh, I do not want that. My mind has changed about it because he's done what? He's transforming our mind. Do you remember this whole passage in Romans where it talks about that we will no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but, we will, but our minds will be transformed? We will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're going to have a new mindset, and we're going to turn from that because it's no longer desirable, and we're going to repent of it, and we're going to go to a different direction. So this is, this is just a biblical, simple understanding of what repentance really is. It's not just willpower to change. It's actually allowing God to change your mind and to change who you are. So I want to, uh, and by the way, this is how Jesus, again, begins his ministry, right? He announces his kingdom, and he says, listen up, everyone. It's time to repent of the things that you think are right but are really wrong and the things that you're doing against, against me. And instead, I want you to believe in the good news because what's he doing? He's transforming our mind, and we're believing something else now, aren't we? We're believing something else is better. Don't know what that was. So he says, believe in the good news, the gospel. Believe in me because I will give you life. In fact, I will give, give my life for you is what Jesus says. This is how he begins. And this is, for a lot of us, repentance is related to the message of salvation. Listen, it is about salvation, but it is not limited to salvation. Repentance is not a one-time generic overall, I repent of my sins and believe now in Jesus. Repentance is something we learn to walk in obedience with the Father as he sanctifies us and continues to, to make us clean before him as we confess and repent of not only our sin, but the things that we are doing against him, right? So, so this is an ongoing thing for all of us. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture, uh, it's actually a painting. Um, of, of from Greek mythology. Uh, anybody heard of Achilles? So Achilles is there, and if you know Achilles, he's been shot by an arrow in the foot there, or in the Achilles, so to speak, and, uh, and this is what ends up killing him. And um, by the way, this, this is just a note, I was looking a long time for a painting of Achilles, and I just had a different picture of Achilles in my mind. I, I just, it's probably a little bit more like the Brad Pitt version, you know what I mean? Like, Troy movie reference. Anyway, um, I think I could take that guy out. But anyway, this. <clears throat> so this this is from Greek mythology. If you know the story, really quick, I'll, it starts way before this battle where he ends up dying from being shot with an arrow on his foot. But the moment, the the story begins with him as a baby, in which his mother um, finds out and hears this sort of, if you will, um, what do you call it? A a foretelling that he would die at a very young age. His mother's. She's concerned, so she takes him and takes him to a, a magical river called the River Styx, and it's spelled S-T-Y-X, like the 80s rock band. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, he takes her to the River Styx, and <clears throat> the mother, Thetis, she dips 
Achilles into the river, but she's holding him by the ankle. And so the hand is covering the ankle, and when she dips him into the river, the ankle is not covered by this magical river that is supposed to give him powers of invulnerability. This is a myth, just so you know. In case you were curious, where's this river at? Um, and so, so she pulls him out, he grows up, he, he goes on and fights all these battles. It's unbelievable, he never dies, all this kind of stuff, until what happens? Until finally a poisonous arrow is shot at his foot, hits him in the area that wasn't covered by the river Styx, and therefore he dies, right? So where do we get this, what comes from this story? That there is something that we all have, have you ever heard the statement? We all have an Achilles heel, right? Oh, Superman's kryptonite, right? We all have an Achilles heel. We all have a vulnerability. We all have a weak spot in which the enemy can take us out. We all have something that we are more vulnerable than than others may be more vulnerable to. We have things that can come against us and the enemy will wreak havoc. What is it the, uh, you know, every one of us, even the strongest, uh, are, can be taken out, whether by a fear or an addiction. But John 10.10, 10, what does it say? It says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he comes to do. I've told the story before, but I remember when Karis was like four or five years old, we were getting ready for dinner, and uh, someone said, I don't know why, but someone said the name Satan. Casual dinner conversation at our house. <laughs> and, and Karis cuts into the conversation. Who's Satan? which is a great question. It's a terrible question. It's a beautiful question. She didn't know. It's a terrifying question that she's going to come to know. And so uh, obviously not the conversation I was planning on making or having while I'm flipping grilled cheeses, you know. And I said, well, you know, Satan is the devil, and he's here to hurt every good thing that God does. And Emily chimes in. And she goes, yeah, and he lives down there. And I'm like, it's already confusing enough. Like, we're talking about the devil, and now he lives down there. And so, I, you know, there's just a lot of confusing things. I get it. So the thief, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, I don't know what you want to call him, the devil. It's like a weird concept, right? But as real as there is a God in heaven that loves everything about you, there's an enemy in this world that hates everything about you and wants to destroy you, wants to crush you. He wants to, and the scriptures teach us, by the way, that he does this by deceiving us, by lying to us, by lying to us about ourselves, by deceiving us of the truth, by, by telling us that something sinful is actually pleasurable, or that certain sins are no big deal, right? I had a friend who um, started a company, became very successful, made a lot of money, and he was very proud of the fact that he built this company on Jesus and Christian values. It was a Christian company. And at some point in his story, he decided that it was okay to take money, to steal money. Now, here's the thing. He did it, I'm sure it was this little bitty deception, right, that said, you deserve this. No one will notice. You've earned it. You built this thing. But this money was supposed to go to someone else. And before you knew it, he was stealing more money than you can imagine, and it all came crashing down in an epic fail. The whole world could see it, and it affected hundreds of people. And you think, how does that happen? Someone who loves the Lord, who built, I mean, I know him. I knew he loved the Lord, and yet he finds himself so far down in this pit where the enemy destroyed his life. 
And it started with a small deception that what he was doing that was not of the Lord's will wasn't that big of a deal. The enemy lies to us, and every one of us has a vulnerable place. We all have an Achilles heel. It could be things like greed, lust, pride, envy, gluttony, anger, or sloth. Anybody know what those are? What did I just mention? Seven deadly sins, yes. I'm not necessarily going to do a message on seven deadly sins, but they're interesting because they're called vices, they're called um, the sins that grip us and rob us of life, and they're really called kind of sort of these categorical sin areas, meaning uh, greed, that sin leads to a lot of other sins, doesn't it? Greed leads to stealing. It leads to selfishness. It leads to loving money instead of God. Anger leads to violence and hatred, cursing. And each one of these big categorical sins leads to another, doesn't it? I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. I find it interesting how many times I've read out of Genesis 4 lately. I don't know what it is about Cain and Abel, but humanity's forced children can teach us a lot. Um, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And this is the word of the Lord to Cain. Now, if you know the story, Cain and Abel, they were about to, uh, Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. The Lord um, warned Cain of this, said, sin is crouching at your door. But what happens Sin had Cain. Cain commits murder, commits, kills his own brother. There are times in each of our lives where we can look where sin got the upper hand of us, and I get it, and I knew you knew what you should do, but you did the wrong thing. I mean, here's the deal. We're not, we're not here to beat one another up over this today, but we are talking about the work. Jesus announces something at the very beginning, one call to action, repent and believe. I can't tell you how many ministry leaders I've known who have been taken out by the work of the enemy, by sin. I can't tell you how many business leaders you see this happen to. We hear about marriages that crumble because of sin. Sin didn't just trip up believers, by the way. It trips up everyone. The enemy's out for anyone and everyone. There's another scripture in Hebrews 12. It talks a little bit, though, what do believers do with this? Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Sounds like an Achilles heel. (laughs) And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I bet right now, we're, we're not even, I mean, we're just a few minutes into this, and I bet right now you can name one, two, maybe even three things that are your Achilles heel. The things that will easily trip you up. And the things that you've tripped on over and over again. And you're like, I don't, I just want to be rid of that in my life. For some of us, it's not a behavior or a sin, it's a lie that you've continued to be tripped up over. 
Meaning, for a lot of us, the enemy is tearing us down with the lies, and we are believing the wrong thing. It may be, it may be Jesus not... Listen, Jesus doesn't want, to only, want us only to repent of our sin. He actually wants us to believe the good news, but a lot of us are believing the bad news. Do you understand that? A lot of you are believing in the wrong things that aren't true about you, whether that is that you aren't good enough, that no one loves you, the lies that you can never overcome that, that pain or that hurt or that challenge that you have. We believe the gossip. We believe the worst about another person instead of the best of person. This is believing in the bad news. But Jesus says, I want you to believe in the good news. The good news that I, Jesus, have come, and I've come to not only give life, but give it to the full. And I, Jesus, have not only come, but I've come to give hope. And a lot of us go, oh, yeah, we know Jesus is the hope, yet we feel like our situation is hopeless. And we believe in the hopelessness instead of the hope in Jesus. But he wants you to believe in the good news. We've allowed fear and deception to rule our heart, and we need to repent of it. We need to repent of allowing the lies to rule our life because he's actually asking us to repent and to believe something new. And if you've believed in lies forever and you continually trip up over them over and over again, I'm telling you, he's, he's inviting you. He's announcing a kingdom in which you can trust in him. He's the one that's going to breathe and give life you can trust him, and he says, listen, not only repent of that, turn away from it, but believe in something new. I want to transform your mind. For many of us, the enemy has led us down a path of pride. We don't even realize how bad it's gotten. It's something we do need to repent of. You believe, and this would be maybe the story of my friend in some ways, you believe that you are rightfully due you rightfully are owed that you're okay being the center of the attention because you've earned the most, you've worked the hardest, you've done the most, you've been the best, you've been the greatest at this, and there, or you've done something truly incredible, and you've done something in the process where you've robbed the glory of God and taken it for yourself. Listen, I've had to repent of that in my own life. I've had to repent of that in my own life where I have seen myself robbing God's glory and taking the credit for myself. If you don't think that's you, listen, I'm telling you, that's more of us than we can ever imagine, that pride has, has come into our life and taken such a stronghold in which we think we are owed something. We think we are, we, and, and, and here's the thing, when we can't give internal and external credit and glory to God, pride is taken over our life. It's not about arrogance, although that's part of pride. People look at arrogant people, and they go, oh, they're so prideful. Listen, there are very humble people, at least externally humble people, that are, that are just taken over by pride. It's not about behavior. It's about the heart. Who are you giving glory to? This is an Achilles heel, and we need to repent of it. This morning, I want to encourage you to name one, two, or three of these things. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Here we keep going, like, is this life, life, life? You may think that that sin that you're committing is controllable. You may think that little thing does not control you. But let me just ask you, if someone found that sin out, if your spouse or your child or a really good friend, 
Would it be okay? It's then that you start to notice that, and he is going to steal from me if this ever becomes something that I can't hide anymore. It'll cost you. I just want you to say, I just want to say this, never underestimate the sins that keep hanging around in your life that seem small. The smallest things can wreak havoc. So I want to, I want to pause. <laughs> I want to pause to give a little clarity to why I wanted to talk about this today. First of all, because Jesus said it, and that's what we keep doing. We just keep talking about things Jesus said. But the second thing is I, I, I just look at our church, and I have hope. And, and what I mean by that is I look at all of you. I look at, I look at this body, even though we don't all know each other really deeply, or maybe even some of us, we don't even know each other, and you're here, but I see us as friends. And, and I hope, what I hope in is that God would do something with and through us as a people, that we would get to be a part of a story, we get to live a story with the Lord, with God, that is beyond our imagination, that we would see things that seem impossible happen right before our eyes. This, you're like, what do you mean? This, why I'm talking about this today is because of this. For us, to, for us to see God do things, whether it be heal people, some of us need to see that. Some of us need to see God provide for us, whether it be to see God free people from things, to be a part of seeing people radically changed by the power of God, to see God's blessings pour out in abundant ways, not for our own gain, but for the glory of God. This is why we're talking about this. You're like, what do you mean? Let me just keep going. I look at our church and I'm, and, and I'm full of hope. I have a dream and I'm hopeful that you have dreams. I want, I want to see God stir us up more. I desire for you to me to have an unquenchable hunger and thirst for the Lord. What if we started caring about that? What if we started caring about that instead of, and I'm not saying you do, but instead of caring about just having a good life, instead of just having a good family and a good home and a good job, and one that we like, what if we started actually caring about the things of the kingdom? What if we started caring about the things of the kingdom? Because what we care about, by the way, is what we dream about. And if all we care about just having a, having a more, I, I just want to care about the, the right things. I want to care about the kingdom, not the American dream. And this church needs you to care about it. It needs you to feel the weight of its purpose and mission. Did you know that this church needs you? Because if we become a place that operates like a lot of churches do in which we reduce one another's worth to just being an attender. If, if that's what we do here, well, we're missing out, I believe, on what God really has for us. The church, your role, your purpose here is greater than just being a part. And there's, there's so many people that come and they, they find their purpose. Oh, yeah, I have a lot of relationships I like and a lot of relationships that are good and they care about. But for the most part, they reduce themselves to consumers and attenders. And, and what I'm saying is, your role and purpose here is greater than that. Even if you think that's all you want, it's greater than that. I'm full of hope to see God break through in ways that most of us have never experienced. For us to taste and see how good God is. For us to experience life to the fullest. Don't, that's what I want, and that's what I hope you want. For us to truly have a hunger and thirst for God. For us, for us to have stories to tell of God's power and God's faithfulness and his provision, I say all that to say those are the marks, those are the marks and the evidence of the life that Jesus wants to give us.
And time and time again, the enemy comes in, wreaks havoc in our life by distracting us with sin and filling us up with fear and tempting us in such a ways that it robs us of what's possible. So I'd say, why are we talking about this? Because I, I do have a, so much hope for our church body. I have so much hope for God to do things in us and through us that we can't even imagine. That's beyond, beyond our comprehension that God is doing things that we never saw we'd see in our life. But we can claim and give glory to God because we got to be part of it. Not just the crazy stuff, but I just mean the power of God changing lives, seeing the kingdom advanced in our city, that we could be a part of that. But you, I'm telling you, the enemy is wreaking havoc in our lives by filling us up with fear and by tempting us with sin and distracting us from that hope to where instead we trade it in for consuming and attending and just a good old American life. Are you with me now? So I talk about repenting and believing today because I believe your life, my life, and believe it or not, the, the life of this church is at stake. The enemy has taken people out. People are quitting the church. People are putting God on the back burner. People, you know, if it's, if it's ministry leaders, as I mentioned, being taken out, if it's, he sucks the desire out of us. You know what I'm saying? That's what he does. The enemy makes us feel small and insignificant, like we can't actually do anything for the kingdom anyway, so why try? We aren't important enough. We aren't smart enough. We aren't spiritual enough. Therefore, we don't need to do anything other than just be here. Those are, enemies, those are the enemy's lies. Your worth is way greater than that. Christy and I, to honestly talk about this, we know that everyone is suspect and vulnerable to being taken out. That's what we talk about. We have to fight for our marriage before it needs fighting for. You must hear me. In this, though, sin, the good thing about this, if you know Jesus, sin cannot defeat you. It's only by God's grace and by his, his unbelievable grace that we get to have the opportunity to repent and believe the good news, to actually return to him, to claim the kingdom of God and reclaim, reclaim the ground that has been given up. So many of us, the enemy has taken ground in our life, and it's time to say, you know what, I'm not giving him any more ground. In fact, I'm reclaiming the ground that he's taken. I'm going back and I'm retaking what's rightfully mine. No matter what we've done or what sins we've committed, God is not done with this. His grace is sufficient. Are you with me? I feel like I need to put 15 exclamation points right here. All right, a couple thoughts to leave us with. Yes. Right on time, as I predicted. It's like, how do we get through all this hard stuff? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> a couple thoughts to leave us with about overcoming sin and fear in our life. Uh, I want to put this on the screen. It's called Absence and Presence. I talked about this a few years ago, but I absolutely love this, okay? So I got to do it again. So the absence of God's presence in your life will create the presence of evil thoughts, temptation, and sin. But the presence of God in your life will create a greater absence of evil thoughts, temptation, and sin. You're like, duh. <laughs> Listen, if I fill my life up with negativity, then that's will, that will be what's present. And guess what will be what is absent? <laughs> Positivity. If I fill my whole life up 
with media and entertainment that is unwholesome and vulgar, and that's what I watch, guess what will probably be absent in my life? Wholesome righteousness and purity. Why do we entertain ourselves with things that are contrary to the Spirit? Why don't we create boundaries in our life to say, I don't want the presence of certain things in my life because I believe there are certain things that need to be absent? Let me read you a, a verse. That's what, that one's actually really big. A little, that's a really small point. It's a really big cultural problem right now, by the way. Are you with me? A really big cultural problem that nobody creates boundaries in their life about what they are consuming and putting into their minds. Okay, I should have got an amen, but I'll just say it for myself. Amen. <laughs> 15 exclamations. Um, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, when you read that, you're like, uh, uh, let me think about, this. think about this. This is what he's saying. In other words, walking by the Spirit, seeking and being in God's presence, creates a life that is in conflict with what? The flesh. Did you guys catch this? So when you, let me just read it again. When I walk by the Spirit, when I walk by the Spirit, when I'm with the Spirit, when I'm in God's presence, when God's presence is with me, I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what will be absent? Sinful desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The flesh wants what the spirit doesn't want. And the spirit which is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. Another scripture. Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart. That I, am, that I might not sin against you. So what's present in, in this person's life? What, what, what's present? God's word. And what's not? Sin. Another verse, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, what, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what should be present in your life. Things that are right and true, not the lies, not the enemy's deception, right? So, the pre so, so just those three verses, it says, so the presence of the Spirit the presence of God's word and the presence of thinking about the things of God lead to a life where the enemy is absent. Right? Okay. Last thought. I promise. God gives you the strength to resist, overcome, and crush the enemy. You want some proof? <laughs> if you believe in the Bible, here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful, which we sang about today, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape, which I love it. It's like, oh, you're going to be tempted. But there's going to be like this little escape pod over here that I'm always going to give you. I'm always going to give it to you. We take it. There's always a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's nothing you can't handle. There's no temptation you can't overcome. There's no, nothing that will stop you from being able to get out and flee that enemy's scheme. Luke 10, 19, this is Jesus. 
Oh, this one's good. I have given you authority, which we don't talk about authority enough. You have authority in Jesus. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, literal and figurative, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus said this to the first 72 witnesses. He says, listen, and they come back and you know what they start celebrating? How they had power and authority over demons. They're like, we couldn't believe it. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, I gave you that authority. You can trample anything. First John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our, fa even our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? Who is it? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What are we talking about? Repent and believe. And then Revelation 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Whose feet? Your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy actually gets crushed. Amen? So God's word is, is so good, isn't it? I mean, it's so good. So empowering, it's straight to the heart. But I gotta ask you, what sin is crouching at the door? What's the weak place that the enemy has tried to deceive you? What's the, what's the Achilles heel that's a vulnerable spot that you gotta figure out? Because I believe it's time to rely on God's strength to resist, overcome, and crush the enemy. For some of you, this is the moment. It's the time to say, okay, God, I've been dealing with this forever. And all of a sudden, here I do show up at church and he talks about this thing. And you know how many times people say, oh, that message is just for me. It's for all of us. We, we, we need to hear, every one of us need to hear, repent and believe the good news because we have all been deceived and the, work, and the enemy is working against us to try and steal and crush and destroy us. Perhaps this is why Jesus called us to repentance first. Perhaps this is why the good news is with exclamation points. He knows that when we turn away from the sin and repent and believe in the actual real good news of Jesus, that there'll be nothing but life and love and grace waiting for us there. Perhaps that's why he began with repent and believe, not from an angry, not from a legalistic, get your behavior right. It's like, listen, your life is being robbed. If you'll turn away from that and believe something new, it's gonna be good. Exclamation point. The last thing I want you to hear today is work harder. Last thing I want you to hear today is get your life right. Last thing I want you to hear is another message saying, quit sinning. This is not an angry legalistic perspective. This is about hope. This is about believing in the good news of Jesus. This is about life that Jesus wants to give us. This is about understanding that we have an enemy that wants to hurt us and we don't, we have the power to overcome it. We have the power to choose a better life. We have the power to turn away and to, and to let God transform our minds. And so here's what I'm saying to you. I'm not asking you to work harder. I'm not asking you, you're, the burden of Jesus, you didn't have one. It's, it's, he says, my, burden, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, meaning he'll do the work for us. 
we give it to Jesus. We give it to him. We say, God, I got to give, give this to you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Who, does, who releases you from sin? Jesus. You can't. But he does say, will you repent? Ask him to forgive you of this sin. Renew your mind so you can see things differently. And, and, and allow him and the authority that is in Jesus' name and the power of the Spirit to crush the enemy's work in your life. You can't do it, but he can. And that's when we give glory to God. It's not about our willpower. Listen, your will has no power. <laughs> we can't go overcome anything by the flesh. It is only by his spirit that we can overcome anything. And by the way, the scripture says that it is the one who believes in Jesus that can overcome the world. So, I know about you, but um, repentance often means a time of deep prayer. So if you would bow your heads. For me, a lot of times it's getting on my knees and giving it to Jesus, confessing I can't do it on my own, that I need him, confessing to him. I don't know, but for you, I would say there's two things. One, I think there's something you can do today, right now in this moment. But I would also say, invite you to say, I hope that this leads you to times of repentance this week on your own in your house, that you would get on your knees and just spend time with him. Repenting of the things that you know you need to repent of. We can't in the next two or three minutes get the work done that needs to be done in your life. So I'm inviting you to consider what is God calling you to repent of? Start it in this moment and finish it in the moments this afternoon and the next days to come. So if you just bow your heads, I want to pray for you. And we're going to sing for a few minutes. In fact, I just want to ask you to start praying right now. This, this, let's just pray this. Maybe you need it. I'm going, to, I'm going to assume this applies to everybody today, but would you just whisper in your seats right now? Say, God, I need strength to overcome the temptation of sin. You can say in your words, uh, just, let's just say that. Say, God, I need your strength. I need you. I need your power. And maybe also say, Lord, I just, I just don't want to begin this with just asking for forgiveness, forgiving me of my sins. You might even confess that weak, vulnerable place right now that you know about. Lord, I just want to confess that to you. Ask that you forgive me of it. Would you just say that right now? And then maybe one more thing you can say as we, as we begin this idea and this hope to repent, believe. Maybe you just pray right now, Lord, a prayer of belief. Say, God, I want to believe in the good news of Jesus. I want to pray against the enemy's lies. I don't want to believe in the good news. Well, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that, Lord, you would lead us in this, in our life this week. Lord, thank you for each person here and how you're moving in their heart, even in this moment. We just trust you with it. It's your spirit's work in us. That's it. We just want to trust it and follow it. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing, and
And you may feel led to say, I need to take a step right now before I leave. And so this altar's open, our prayer team's here. Um, but let's take these next few minutes and just continue to respond.